you can't expect a customer to change the way they act because of you and you thinking. If you're not going to have sort of the EQ and the wherewithal to at least understand how to get the systems to at least be close to working together, I don't know if you should be in growth or sales or trying to like go disrupt an industry. What's up? I'm Tyler Sweat. Cue the dramatic music. This is All Quiet on the Second Front, a podcast where boring conversations around defense tech and national security come to die. Ready to get weird and learn some cool shit about emerging tech and the government? I thought so. Let's fucking go. This is a Soul Fire production. Get ready for saved rounds. The all-new, all-quiet segment with my buddy and Second Front CTO, Enrique Odi, Delivering short, but intellectually sweet takes on the latest defense tech news that'll keep you informed, make you sound like the smartest nerd in the room. What's up, everyone? It's your host, Tyler Sweat. Welcome to another episode of All Quiet on the Second Front, the podcast where boring defense talk goes to die. Uh, We're going to get a little rowdy today. Uh, Got a longtime friend, once upon a time colleague, uh, Mike Bergen from Gotenna joining us. So, Mike, thanks for stopping by, brother. Super excited to be here, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so uh, do a little bit, let the people sort of know who you are, kind of hear your story and how you ended up where you are, a little bit on what you're doing now, and then let's get into the fun stuff. Yeah, sounds good. So I run partnerships and special programs at Gotenna. It's a fancy way of saying everything aside from the DoD. Um, So DHS, Secret Service, Intelligence. Um, So been doing that now for almost a year, uh, but with tech startups for the last seven years. So helping dual-use commercial technology and selling it into the government. So I like to call it the Acela business model, right? So you start in New York, you sell to the Goldman Sachs and the JP Morgans, and you tell them, you know who really likes this? CIA, Special Forces, and they sit back and they get really interested and like, ah, it's really impressive. You take the Acela, you go down to DC, you meet with the CIA, you meet with the Special Forces, you go, you know who really likes this? JP Morgan and Goldman Sachs. And they sit back like, ah, it's really impressive, right? So you have this commercial dual use set of customers that you can sell to, and it usually works out pretty well for us. How'd you get into sort of dual use? Uh, What happens before it's Mike Bergen, startup guy? So did uh, about five years in the Marine Corps. So I'm recovering. Uh, hair covers up the lobotomy scars from so the I Marines. Keep the crayons away. That's I, I got it. Yeah, no crayons in arm's reach. I ate half of them before you got here. Um, so did that for five years, went back to B-School, and then joined Deloitte doing M&A and commercial uh, intelligence, uh, competitive intelligence, and then started working with you, luckily, at Toffler Associates doing M&A and competitive intelligence, and then moved into the uh, commercial startup world. Yeah. Um, So we talk a lot about the challenges of speed, sort of synchronization and understanding between, you know, dual use, even pure play sort of defense tech startups and the government, right? How do we get folks to understand how to optimize systems, how to make things move faster? You know, you could call it a cheat code to sort of get first win. And I want to even push it past that because I think we for years, celebrated first wins, like, hey, you've got a Sibber, and called it a win. Not being fair to that founding team that, like, hey, you've just entered a short room. Awesome. Like, you're not outside the house. You're now inside the house. But where do you go from there? You know, as you're now, year seven, have been at some really impressive companies, have been driving some challenging technology. 
where have you seen or what have you sort of built up in your playbook on here's the places I should focus and here's the things I need to look for in order to understand the velocity and the scale you can sort of get customers to move at. So you're speaking my language when you say cheat codes. Uh, I'm a video game fanatic. I mean, my kids play all the time, right? And if you get stuck on something, we're playing the new Zelda, what happens, right? We go online and we look it up, right? A lot of these things are actually just listed online. So you mentioned, what are the cheat codes selling into the government? Because they are out there to accelerate companies, right? Especially for dual-use companies like Gotenna. So I'll, I'll take a step back. I want to talk kind of why I think it works for dual-use companies like Otena. So we were started in 2012 during Hurricane Sandy. So it knocks out all of the comms in Jersey. Uh, you probably remember oh, being yeah. Jersey boy, right? So it knocks out all the communications. Brother and sister create a mesh network device to be able to connect cell phones. So basically it was, can I keep family connected? So at Gotenna, we believe in sending the most important information uh, at the most important times. So we are a mesh network, low-cost company that sends position location and comms. We do that leveraging our mesh network radio, which I just so happen to have right here for the people that on. was sitting next to him. He did not take that out of the prison wallet. <laughs> just a very comfortable well, reach. I was just saying, that was, was, it was almost too, it was, should have scripted that. Better. It was almost, it was almost too natural. Um, <laughs> so started as a commercial company, but then realized that there's government customers all the time, whether it's law enforcement, special forces, military that are off grid and need to be connected. Right. So we believe in that as a company and, and connecting those people. So if you think about if you're a commercial company, you want that you want that demand. Looking at the government, then there's those cheat codes you mentioned, yeah. right? There's small business animated research contracts. You've talked about that on on the show ad ad infinitum, right? But then there's the underserved customers, like I look at within DHS. So if you serve the underserved, a lot of times, technology companies or Silicon Valley companies don't want to work with them. Right? So if you have these underserved customers and you come to them and listen to their problems and you take a commercial solution and you tweak it, then you can start getting access to what their requirements are. So I mentioned before the SIBR process. That's interesting from a DOD perspective. But then there's very, very innovative contracts within DHS, including the innovation team. So they have SIBRs as well. So CBP invent team, I would say, is one of the best rapid acquisition authorities within the US government, hands down. And that's not just because of the process, it's the people they hire. So you mentioned innovation, like we always talk about the tech, right? But I think the innovation is truly around the contracting office or the procurement or the contracting officer himself, right? You find a contracting officer that can run through walls, you find a juggernaut that can crush through things, that's how you get access. So CBP innovation team, you have brand new contracts like the commercial solutions opening program. Right, similar to the trade wins program, where you can get on contract on a multi-million dollar contract within months, or even weeks, depending on what the customer is asking for. So these cheat codes, they're online. You can actually just look up anything I just said, and there's a step-by-step -step process. And that's where I think you have small companies, you can show them the way, and that's where you get access to the government customer. How do you help, and I'm gonna come back to sort of trade wins and DHS, how do you help as you're looking at other founders, other sort of teams out there. So while you can go online and find the cheat code, you also can find a bunch of, you know, maliciousness that's masquerading as a cheat code, maybe for a fee. There's this whole sort of cottage industry. Um, I think there's value in the industry, so I'm not trying to sort of smirch that. But, you know, I've often used the example, hey, if, if I'm at base camp, and a Sherpa comes and says, for $10,000, I will help you get to Summit. I'm like, cool, how many times have you been to Summit? And they're like, never. 
that's sort of a red flag. I don't think a lot of folks know how to ask that how many times have you been to Summit question when someone comes out and is like, hey, I can help you unlock all of this. So how do you help them make sure that they're, they're spending time, they're spending money, and they're consuming the right information? So this whole area within the DC metro area is just right crawling with yeah. these types of people, right? And I think a lot of the first question you always ask is, have you sold something new into the government? Yeah. You talk to a lot of people that have sold hundreds of millions of dollars worth of programs into the government. Yeah. What have you sold? Navy radars. Well, the Navy's been buying radars yeah. since Excuse 1940. Lockheed or Oracle or exactly. something around for 25 exactly. years. Exactly. But have you sold something truly new and innovative where you have to change people's paradigm of how they think about something? Yeah. To me, that's like the number one question. And if if they've sold even a couple hundred thousand or a million dollars of new technology, that to me is is something different. And that's where you can actually, you know, you you hire on energy not experience. So if the person's energetic and they've done that, to me, I always hire on energy versus experience. Experience here is a dime a dozen, right? But do they have the energy to knock down that wall? Because it's going to take a couple hundred times of you smashing your head against it before maybe it breaks. And, you know, you talk about selling into the government, like there's the whole idea of, you know, we always say Cotena, selling the government's easy. It's taking a test. And everyone complains about how difficult it is, right? Our LinkedIn feeds are just full of people talking about, oh, selling to the government's difficult, selling to the government's difficult. Government contracts like 800 or 900 billion dollars a year. If you can't capture a couple hundred K or a million dollars, dude, that's a you problem, not the government's problem. I was the I was recently in London, um, and we were on a selling artificial intelligence and like DevSecOps to the public sector, and everyone was like, it's impossible. And I was like, it's a highly regulated industry. Like it's annoying, but like it's pretty well documented. And like, is it cumbersome? Sure. But to your earlier point on the Acela model, right? Selling to JP Morgan sucks. Selling to Pfizer or Baxter sucks. Selling to like some healthcare company or hospital system sucks. And if you can push through it, there's a degree of stickiness you'll get. And there's also a I don't know how to word this the right way, but I don't know if it's like intellectual hubris or laziness of like, you can't expect a customer to change the way they act because of you and you thinking. If you're not gonna have sort of the EQ and the wherewithal to at least understand how to get the systems to at least be close to working together, I don't know if you should be in growth or sales or trying to like go disrupt an industry. You can't just shriek from the corner. You and I chose this life. We're in it. Yeah. But to that point, everyone, right, the government tells you what to, what to do. So don't fight the test, pass the test. We always say that at Gotenna. There's a test you have to take to sell to the government. We know what it is. It's cumbersome, but don't complain about the test. Pass the test first, and then think of ways to make them not say no, right? Make it impossible for the contracting officer to say no. So they know what the legal review the policy review, the budget reviews are, right? They have those gates. They know how long it takes. You know how it's going to be 30 days for one, 90 days for another. It goes to a congressional review, but you know what these gates are. So set it up beforehand and have that open conversation. Contracting officers love saying no, but if you find the right one, whether it's with these innovation teams or with AFWorks or with commercial solutions opening programs, right? They'll run through walls with you. So make it hard for them. Make them shine. This You bring on technology really quick, they shine. So that's where I think the innovation is, is make it hard for them to say no. Yeah. No, and I love the, I love the recognition that 
how much innovation can be driven in a world that we just continue to talk about sort of emerging tech and the next thing. And we're still talking about that human element. So you talk about sort of cheat coding from a, hey, if you sold something new to sort of industrial age organizations before, flip that. And as you're out engaging with contracting offices or different procurement teams, you know, we had Bonnie Evangelista on the show um, recently, and she's driving transformative change over at Tradewinds. How do you find folks like that? Or how do you tell other folks to look for folks like that? I think that's on the office lead of what, regardless of what office you're working with, right? Yeah. If it's the CVP innovation team, if it's the program management office directorate within CVP, if it's DHS, S&T, right? You have to, that comes from the top truly, because then they look for that, they look for that innovative person. They look for that hungry person. Again, hire on energy. Look for the energetic contracting person. Pluck them up and put them in your office, and then let them run. Introduce them to the companies because a lot of people, are, a lot of people are afraid to talk to the contracting officers, right? A lot of contracting officers are also afraid to reply, right? They're allowed to. You're allowed to talk to the contracting officer. It's not like this decade, decades of barracks lawyers has broken contracting officers. Yeah, it's like we're scared to talk to them, right? Yeah. We're standing on the other side of the eighth grade dance and being like, well, I don't want to talk to the contracting officer. I'm really nervous, yeah. right? Like, no, talk to the contracting officer a lot of times or bring them out to a demo. You're also allowed to do that. Bring them out of the office. To me, that has been one of the biggest, I think, eye-opening things to bring them out of the office, bring them out of the bureaucracy and be like, here, this is what we're doing with tech. You want to see it? Pull it up on the phone. Make it accessible. Right? Make it accessible. So it's not on like a Word document. They're trying to figure out what does it mean when they say mesh network. Right. Yeah. Get them excited. I'm very excitable. Yeah, clearly. You're way too excitable. Yeah. Right. So get them excited as you are, yeah. and then they become your biggest advocate. That's where I've seen, and you know, we live in the United States. We are, I would say, the most technologically innovative country in the world. Yeah. But what China's doing is they're just blowing up the entire contracting process. So they're removing the bureaucracy. So they're fast followers. So we're the most technologically innovative. They're the most process innovative because they don't have a process. Yeah. So we need to get around that. So we just need to speed up our process, which is, unfortunately, that's the human element. It's the, we, we are the glitch, humans, yeah. and most things that we look at. Right? The bug and the feature. Yes. How do you how do you take sort of that concept of cheat codes and how do you think about scaling that? Right? I mean, there's you and I are each sort of talking about from a singular company standpoint, how do you, even if we go somewhere in the middle and we say it like a portfolio level, right? How do we start to think about getting outsized ROI from cheat codes? And is that is that building coalitions, right? There's a degree of like awareness and education. There's a degree on sort of like policy and making sure they're allowed to or that they're aware they're allowed to. Uh, but how do you start to get more going through? So look at who's winning in this industry, right? It's, it's the large Lockheed Martins, the Boeings, the Raytheons, and what are they? They're system integrators. They're integrating systems. They're integrating different things. So by themselves, it's interesting, but if you they integrating partnerships, so now I'm putting out my partnerships hat. So I see the world as a partnership, right? I'm a hammer and the world is nails, it's just partners. And I think building that coalition of partners and bringing more value to the customer where yes, I have a mesh radio by itself. It's interesting, but you know what's more interesting? If I bring in a brand new Samsung phone or I bring in Bunker who is our case company and I bring in cords and I bring in other things to make the radio better. Now I've built a partnership and it's more, it's it has more capabilities for the end customer, yeah. right? So you, you're basically becoming a system, a small system integrator. That's where I think you scale because now 
I'm a small business, you're a small business. I can put in my own small business contracts and I'm the prime and you sub. Now you can be the prime and sub to other contracts. So now we have a flywheel where both companies are effectively competing against the same things, but you have this sub-prime relationship which increases your odds of winning. So that, that increases your P win. So if you're thinking, now you're putting your CRO hat on, second run, how do I increase my Right, probability of win and probability of go. Like this increases your P win and your P go if you increase the number of partners that you have. So it's interesting, right? I love the idea of thinking of partnerships and partner like partners and alliances sort of as like an SI type capability. Um, and I think there there's absolutely some equilibrium to be achieved with like quantity and quality and all of that. But I want to unpack that even more because I think. And, you know, like Mamie Cruz is our vice president of Partnerships and Alliances. And I tell people all the time, like, would not be one one hundredth as successful as we are without what Mamie's able to do from a partnership standpoint. I think a lot of sales teams and sort of founding teams think about partnerships as like an interesting feature. Maybe it's like some marketing. I get some booth space somewhere or a webinar. Right. We're seeing the opposite. Like it is driving pipes and conversions and channels and market entry and all of this like outsized impact. How do you get folks to understand that partnerships isn't some cost center, non-revenue, non-value sort of creating or transferring entity? So I'm very egocentric. So of course, partnerships is the (laughs) connective tissue across a company. It is all of it. It is life. But it's like football. But that's a, but that, to that point, partnerships should be on all of the product calls. They should be on all of the customer success and customer experience calls. They should obviously be on, on the sales calls because they're driving revenue, right? Partnerships should have a target. So partnerships to me, again, connective tissue across the company where you're helping to drive the product roadmap because if if Gotenna has items on the product roadmap that we want to expand to, wow, we should go partner and maybe you know go after some zippers together, right? And that helps get our product roadmap funded. Wow, what a great idea. Now we get paid to do the work that we were going to do anyway. Um, so I think partnerships helps across a number of different functions for that exact reason, where you can provide that connective tissue um, and also give them revenue targets. Because everyone always looks at partnerships like, what do they do? They just drink and know things? Right, like they, they get coffee with people, they go to happy hours. Like, no, make like put a target on them, and whether the target is how many partners you've onboarded or like a reselling target. Like to me, that's where what gets measured, what is what gets done, and I think that's where you can start driving some some yeah. real value with partnerships. I think there's this, there's there. I'd be curious your thoughts and a way we've looked at it internally, and sort of some of the different sort of configurations of how to think about partnerships and sort of value and just the orientation um, is around, you know, partnerships to bring new features in or new capabilities, right? Whether that's we're going after joint NRE together or we're going to white label someone else's product and that's going to allow us to not have to worry about this section of roadmap. We'll worry about this section so we can accelerate velocity. There's partnerships from sort of a go-to-market Hey, we're reselling, we're co-selling, you know, and then there's a, can you use partnerships to sort of expand market access, right? To even just get entry or compliance into, um, how do you guys think about, how do you specifically, not necessarily Gotenna, how do you think about the different lenses to look at partnerships through as you're thinking about sort of that systems integrator capability at scale? 
So there's the supply side of partnerships. So whether whether it's a software company or a hardware company, right? There's there's supplier partnerships that you want to focus on to help scale your. You talk about scale that helps scale your business, right? It's a it's a maker buy, so it becomes the the maker buy decision. So it's a, usually the buy decisions quicker. So if you can you know partner or buy through a partner, that's the supplier side. And then there's the strategic. Strategic partnerships are who either makes you money or introduces you to customers or will invest in you and then work with you, right? So the strategics are completely separate. And the strategics I would almost look at from like a corp dev perspective because as a startup, you always want to look at how am I getting out, whether it's an IPO or an acquisition. And maybe some of these large strategics could be acquisition targets in the future, right? So you double down on that. and. Partnerships is just like any other relationship, right? You have to focus on it and you have to you have to water it and you have to grow it. So if you have too many partners, it becomes you're just you're just a you're just a, a massive reseller and no one's getting anything done, right? But if you go in deep with a couple core ones, that's where I've seen the value, right? You you target a couple core ones, just like any relationship, right? Like it's if you spend time with that person, you build a like a fruitful relationship, no different than a company. You build, you you spend time with them, you go after contracts together, you go after RFPs together, you start putting skin in the game and maybe you make them buy a couple, you know, units of your hardware or you have them buy a couple software license and vice versa. Guess what? It pads your revenue, both companies, but then it also makes it where, okay, we're kind of engaged now. We have to we have to do something together. We or or just cut it. It's that sort of how do you get I always talk about, I look at partnerships a lot of times as like interesting configurations on piping. And there's always a really good hypothesis. You could put it up on an org chart or, hey, here's the the, arch- the reference architecture on how we're going to integrate. I'm like, neat. Put some flow through that pipeline. Give me a win. Give me some volume. Even if it's to your point, it's, you know, a license here, a license here, whatever. Show me how it works. And if you can prove that model, I've also found from a partnerships to sort of like a number, a rev owning organization or a BU, the ability to bring it over and say, hey, look, not only does this conceptually, you know, it'll provide us some value from a marketing standpoint or go to work, it actually works and here's what it looks like when stuff flows through. It'll help us be faster, it'll help us be cheaper, it'll help us be more resilient. But proving that hypothesis and not leaving it so it's sort of sitting on a PowerPoint slide as a, here's the why of the partnership, like show me the why. I think that's what I hear with you on the, the hey, we've got to like really pick some winners. I mean, be willing to fold on them if it doesn't work, but pick some winners that you're going to actually test on and confirm the hypothesis and then go. Is that a fair assessment? Yes. Um, kill them quick, obviously, if they're not, if they're not, responding or providing any value but then also if they're large again make them put skin in the game and because if it's even if it's like a 5k license or 5k worth of radios right like just make them put something in so someone else at the organization looks around and goes wait what are we doing with second front systems what are we doing with gotenna we we bought their stuff make them ask for something internally and put a little bit of their reputational risk or their wast on the line or else it's not real why did I buy 5K worth of radios? Yeah. Oh, we should probably do some more RFPs together, right? It's, it, it, but it, that's it's a, a huge, forcing That's function. a huge mistake. It is, it's absolutely a forcing function. That's a huge mistake people make where they're like, hey, I'm partnered with AWS. And, you know, no offense to AWS. Uh, You're going to get killed for saying that. People are like, but people are like, we're huge partners. And we're like, cool, have you done anything together? Or are they just telling you to go register for a bunch of programs that some kid is getting spiffed on and you've spent 800 hours of like weird engineering time 
to be in all these programs. Like, has it generated revenue? Or, you know, and I've said this to both prime contractors that I've taken money from in the past. Like, there's always the promise of revenue. Yet, yet to prove the hypothesis that taking CVC money from a prime is in all useful to a dual use company. Um, it's actually been the opposite where it's just spent a lot of time like chasing some big prime contractor, but you've got to get them to have skin in the game or else it's just not real. And at some point, if you're flashing around a logo of a partnership, someone is going to come calling and say, hey, show me that this fucking thing is real. Yeah, so you can't hide it. And if it's not buying product, then, and maybe you have to do this as a small company, right? Because you you have to show the energy initially. Go into, you know, go into a, a Sibber and have a sub that's a massive system integrator, right? Go in and, and put them on your contract. It's It'd be 50K, right? But you know what? That showed that you actually had the initiative. And then have them reciprocate. And now you've actually done something together, right? Do something. We, we build bonds over doing hard things together truly and whether that's friendships or partnerships like go do something difficult go do something hard together go take down something and fail but guess what you were in the trenches together and you emerge you're like ah this is what i've learned because people's time is also worth something so make them invest the time if they're not going to invest the money we deserve it tyler i hear it i hear it and i like the again i mean i think you know, it's, it's easy to look back sort of at the, the tail end of an episode and be like, well, this is neat. Like, we talked about all these different cheat codes on, like, how to think about velocity of sort of the first transaction, how to think about sort of the philosophical and organizational structuring of partner models and where those where those sort of move and plug in across an organization, right? A cheat code for how to think about strategic kind of partnerships and how to make sure that they're set up in a way where you've got the highest sort of likelihood of sort of value delivery. I think that's awesome. What I want to do for the last question is sort of the structured question, but I'm going to put a spin on it because of the cheat code, right? You and I have been friends. We've worked together for a long time. Um, I think, you know, we've both got military experience. So for us, there's, there's always some sort of like field of dreams at the end and it's like i'm gonna get there and like it's gonna be great and for me you know it's outdoor cooking i went somewhere a mountain rivers dogs kids grandkids guns like big old america right like but i ask everybody sort of what does it look like at the end right when you think about take work strip work away life like when you're like hey i figured out the cheat code and i've got everything the way i want it to be What's that look like? You know, are you in a UFO? Are you in an RV sort of drive around the country? Are you in the middle of the woods, you know, big old beard doing Unabomber stuff, but less violent? I don't want to look like you. Um, <laughs> but no, man. So, no, my, my end state is obviously um, I'm a Jersey Shore guy. It's by the beach. Um, yeah, like family, kids. Seaside, get ready. He's coming back. That's right, coming back. Um, anything on a board? Yeah. Surfboard, skinboard, skateboard, snowboard. Uh, I think that's that's the end state. But I still want to be in this. Unfortunately, now I'm brainwashed enough where I still want one toe dipped still in this community, whether it's advisory. Like I think it's like a drug. Yeah, unfortunately, I'm I'm yeah. I'm, I'm mildly addicted. And they yep. say, right, do something you love, and you never work a day in your life. Well, that's that's bullshit. Yeah, we we work our asses off. <laughs> I was say. But in the end, <laughs> like. 
I'm now addicted to to, to winning to like yeah. I, I but I love like I love supporting the mission I, in a way that matters right in a way that when you win you're like this fucking matters yeah it it, yeah. it matters and you end up loving your customers if you if you know if 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 you do well by them and I love the law enforcement community I love the the customers we serve within CBP yeah. with Border Patrol so I think having access to that allows me to still stay sane um, so that's that's where I think that's where I think the end state is so I mean that's you know, love the back to Jersey. I have to, right? That's I, uh, the cheat code. Get back there. So I will, I will, I'll leave you with this, and then we'll we'll actually wrap. But last week, two weeks ago, took my oldest. This is how old we're getting to his first concert, Stone Pony Summer Stage, and I was like, I'm back. <laughs> I remembered being there as a high schooler. Warped tour. <laughs> yeah, under, I was telling stories. I was like, I used to come down here where I took your mom on her first date. Was it Asbury Lanes? We saw Bouncing Souls. And I was like, holy cow. Nice pull. Life comes at you fast. That's a, that's a good pull. Yeah. So thanks for coming, brother. This was awesome. This is great. Thanks for having me. Appreciate yeah. the time. All right. This is Saved Rounds. Join me, my favorite technologist, second front compatriot, Enrique Odi as we cut through the cacophony of the news cycle and reload your arsenal to annihilate defense tech takes. Let the fun begin. All right, so uh, this is usually the my least favorite place to go. We're gonna talk about the Army and technology. Um, so the Army is building a network-centric environment towards interoperability. And so it has a whole, you can even tell like, it is a horrible like 1990s era title of network-centric yeah. environment but it's really about modern tech stacks. That's really what this thing's about. All right, let's get weird. The horrible title. I will admit the first time I read this headline, I assumed that some 06 in the army had just discovered the internet and was just blown away by it. Um, and this was their strategy to take the internet to the cloud. Um, but I have been told otherwise that uh, as we're looking at sort of Indo-Paycom and the army is trying to think about what does a modern technology stack look like, and how do we actually modernize the army? Um, we've got some folks involved in there. So, you know, I'll turn it over to, to CTO Odie. What are you thinking on this? Is it an opportunity to dunk on the army uh, or get excited about it? Look, about I will dunk on the army for the fact that they called it network centric environment, uh, going, really digging deep into like 1990s era. <laughs> but, what, but what they're driving at is good, actually. And you start looking at the article, look at the, what the Army is trying to do here. They're right. It's all about we can't keep working with our allies and partners. Every time we run an exercise, every time we go into combat, it's like, oh, let's build a new network because all these other things we have don't work. Like We build coalition networks that nobody knows how to log on to. Nobody's like, you have to dust off that box that's been sitting on your desk for, for two years, have to update the patches. Like, it doesn't work. We're never going to build networks to get to the fight. What we have to do is use the networks we have, and we have to be able to tag the data. This is the key part, I think, that the yeah. Army's working on is how do you make it about the data first, not about the networks, which is why I hate that network-centric title. It's not. Yeah. It's data-centric collaboration. And so if you have good data tagging and you also have good IDAM or ICAM solutions, which, by the way, they mean this basically the same thing. We, we can get into the details of the difference. But... You know, if you have good IDAM solutions and people can actually log in, you know, like you do with any other website, and you can actually hit that data, now you can actually share. So this is, yeah, I think where where Indopaycom is going with this, it's it's undoubtedly the right path. Yeah, I think you know you're pushing on a really interesting sort of that multi-level security, and I think where I think there's an IDAM aspect, and I think there is 
not just tagging. I think the bigger conversation is like, how do we unshackle ourselves from sort of antiquated infrastructure and piping um, and start to think about like relevant and contemporary sort of data access where data is not only discoverable if I log into like the right soda straw of fiber that's yep. going to see it. Data is available if I have the permissions. I am in the right role. I am geographically in the right location. It is the right time of day, right? And like we start to get into like some R back and some A back type stuff that solutions exist and would allow for, you know, to use a third offset kind of term, that data to decision sort of kill chain, whatever the right word is for it, to be so much shorter. And instead we keep pushing it out and making it more complex to where I've got tokens for this and cards for this. And I'm just, going back and forth across all these different systems. And I'm never actually able to bring it all together well, and make an informed decision. Yeah. And, and, but I think you hit the nail on the head. We talk about these little soda straw, little unique networks. Like why are we operating on unique networks? You know, yeah. uh, we should be operating on the internet. We can fill in some really super high speed mesh networks across that. But the whole idea of zero trust is that you can operate having zero trust in the environment you're in. What is more zero trust than the open internet? So that's where we should be operating. That's where we should be testing this out. And I, I think where the Army is looking at it, and it's a great little uh, conversation here, I think the you know, Indo-PACOM CTOs uh, mentioned in there, talk about some of the policy aspects of this. That's the reality of it. If we're going to do this, we have to actually waive policy and yep. try some stuff out that people are uncomfortable with, or else we're not going to learn. Uh, you can't just architect it on a PowerPoint slide. You actually have to try it in practice. That means you actually have to do it uh, in uh, counter to the current existing policies. But that's how we're going to get there. You're right. We got to get away from the soda straw, you know, networks like kludge together. Yeah. I am excited for the Army to go break narratives and uh, break the mold on sort of network-based operations and uh, discover the cloud and maybe a data cloud. Hey, Army's using Gmail. They are like ahead of the other Crazy. right now. It's incredible. Crazy. Awesome. Thanks, brother. Yeah. Wow, look at you. You made it to the end. Thanks for listening. Hope you learned something. Don't forget to leave a passive-aggressive review. It wouldn't be a podcast without some show notes. So check them out to learn more about me, Second Front. Stay weird. <laughs>